You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to our baptism Sunday here at the church. Uh, King's Church is a relatively new church that exists to make Jesus known here in the city in a way that's an enduring presence that leads to personal conversion, meaning our lives are changed by the gospel, purposeful living, meaning that every nook and cranny of knowing him leads to change in our lives as well as community reconciliation, meaning that our faith leads to action. As mentioned, today is Baptism Sunday. You will see a lot of people touching this mic or speaking into this mic this morning. So uh, without further ado, let me just give a a few just brief words on baptism. Here at King's Church, we follow the New Testament pattern of baptizing believers in Jesus by full immersion in the water. Uh, We're aware of the fact there are some different views on baptism across Christian traditions, but the pattern that we uh, seem to see in the New Testament itself is that when someone believes in Jesus, the next thing that happens is they're baptized rather than vice versa. And so each of these uh, lovely 12 this morning has believed in Jesus Christ. He's given you life. He's given you hope. And now they're following through with baptism. So without further ado, I'm going to invite up uh, Mr. Bradley Clark and Daniel Davis to introduce the baptism candidates. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Daniel Davis. I'm a lay pastor here at King's. And first up for baptism, we have Emily Van Opdorp from the state of Virginia. Um, Hi, everyone. Like Daniel said, my name is Emily Van Opdorp, and I'm from Stafford, Virginia. Yes, I know, one of the few people actually from the area. Um, If you had told me a year ago that I would be standing up here professing my faith about to get baptized, I probably would have laughed in your face and made a joke. A year ago, I was in a very dark place. I was incredibly lost and extremely broken. At the beginning of 2022, I went through a difficult breakup. Someone close to me was diagnosed with stage four cancer and ultimately lost that battle six months later. And I faced challenges and burnout at work, among other things. Overall, I was disappointed with what I believed were failures in my life. Not knowing where to turn, I looked to worldly things and had fun. I believed that would fix me or at least make me feel something. But instead, I found it only made me feel more lost and broken. I started to question why all these bad things kept happening to me. Why was God doing these things to me? And what had I done to deserve this? I questioned absolutely everything. As time went on, my friends saw that I was struggling no matter how hard I tried to cover up my pain. In an effort to help me, a few friends opened up to me about their faith, encouraging me to come to church with them when I felt ready. But I always made excuses to avoid going. I would justify my beliefs by telling myself that I was baptized into the Catholic Church and received my first communion. I grew up going to church occasionally with my mom when we went to visit family in England over the summer holidays, and that was good enough for me, or so I thought. In September of 2022, something changed in me, and I felt compelled to ask a friend if I could go to church with them that Sunday. And on Sunday, September 25th, 2022, I went to church again for the first time in years. 
During that service, I was uncomfortable, overwhelmed, and emotional, but also felt at home and like it was where I was meant to be. Unbeknownst to me at the time, this feeling of belonging was from the peaceful presence of Christ. I asked if I could go to church with them again the following Sunday and have gone every Sunday since. I used to hate Sundays, but now I found myself looking forward to them. My mornings are not complete without listening to worship music. My nights aren't complete without reading my Bible and praying. When I'm struggling rather than questioning my faith, I lean on Christ for strength. As Ben said about Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 24, to know Jesus Christ is to know the emptiness of life without God. I now know that feeling. And live worthy of his salvation because he has really changed you from the inside out. And, and that is now how I aspire to live. As Julia Roberts said in one of my favorite movies, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. <laughs> I pose that question to Jesus and he has done just that for me and so much more. I'm so proud of myself for this journey of faith that I've embarked on and cannot wait to continue. Next up, we have Kevin Berto from the state of Illinois. Uh, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Dan said, my name's Kevin Berto. I'm from nearby Chicago, Illinois, and <laughs> not in Chicago. Um, my journey to salvation started about age eight years old, when my mom would take me and my brothers to church, where we made lasting friends. But we ended up not at church most Sundays, because my brothers and I split time between our separated parents. But it was from these church friends that I would come to know the gospel through their daily lives outside of church. So fast forward 18 years, I'm a graduate school in College Station, Texas. <laughs> That's right. Uh, far from home, going through the darkest seasons of my life, it was for the first time I was on a traditional college campus. I was under so much pressure to perform. I was studying day and night in order to keep my job and earn an advanced degree in a subject I had little experience with. But that considered what I truly was struggling with was self-isolation. I felt trapped by what I had done, the mistakes I made. I'm sorry, <laughs> Lord. Um, and what I was doing to cope. My identity was shattered, oh Lord, <laughs> by the shame I held on to and for the fear of being judged. I refused to reach out to anyone, including my family. I knew I was not equipped to carry on. It was then, though, that I recalled those families that I knew from the church back home, who my mom had turned to when we were all going through the turbulence of the divorce. And in the years following, they had invited us to their church on Christmas, Easter, and to make us a part of their celebrations. Me and my brothers felt like adopted sons by these people. And what was apparent in these people was their bold love for Jesus. And it was that love that was my light in the darkness. So in grad school, I turned to Jesus for the first time in my life. I began attending church. where, I, While there, I just felt lighter, but also like an outcast in an unfamiliar culture. I was skeptical of these people from church who sought to know me. I thought, what could I offer them? There must be strings attached to their bids for fellowship. But over the next few months, God started to show up in a familiar setting where I felt safe to connect. At the time, I loved to compete. I loved CrossFit. And so at the gym with the best athletes in town that I joined, not thinking much of the fact that it was also a Christian gym, I quickly was able to connect with these guys and gals. And I was surprised to learn they were just like me. 
and they erased my flawed perception of Christian culture. One Friday night, I saw a guy from the gym at our church's worship service. We didn't know each other well, but nevertheless, he came up to me to put his hand on my shoulder and just started praying for me. Once finished praying, he then recited to me what I was picturing in my head. It was a scene from years ago when I was very sick and without a hope that I would get better. At the time, I was thousands of miles from home, literally in the middle of an ocean, as I was working on a ship crossing the Atlantic and the Mediterranean Sea. I couldn't explain to myself how I made it through that voyage to fully recover. But what I did know and what struck me immediately that moment in church was that I felt the same as I did on that ship, that I was unreachable and savable and certain no one could help. But then this guy at church said, and I'm paraphrasing, Jesus is your island. He sees you and he's closer than you think. Later that evening, the best I can put words to it is that I saw Jesus on the cross and for a moment I was at peace. Christ's message to me was just look to me. I prayed then to God to thank him for saving me then and now and for showing me the truth that Christ is my savior and has been with me all along. Though my life wasn't transformed overnight, in fact, life got objectively harder as I felt I was starting over from scratch with my relationships, my identity, and my priorities. But now I had faith in the beginnings of a strong, supportive community. Since then, I graduated and moved to DC. I've tried, and I've tried for, for a season several churches in the area, but I've been incredibly blessed to have found King's Church and been welcomed in this community. It was just last summer when my neighbor Vanessa invited me to church here for the first time. Though shortly thereafter, I'd moved out of the city and thought it'd be more practical to attend any one of the numerous churches in my new Alexandria neighborhood. <laughs> Meanwhile, pastors Ben and Wesley kept texting me, <laughs> asking when we could find a time to get coffee. When finally I relented to tell them I had moved and was looking for another church near her home, they didn't just say, okay, bye, we barely knew you, Kevin. They told me they wanted to help me in any way they could so I could find the right church for me. And it was then I knew for sure that King's Church is where I could belong. I'm grateful I've grown so much in my faith amongst so many selfless believers that are simply looking to advance the gospel and let Jesus be known. So thank you for your friendships and fellowship of this community, and thank you for your praise and encouragement and the opportunity to share this testimony with you. Next we have Chan and Ryan from the state of Missouri. Hi everyone, happy Sunday. Um, for those who know me, hello. You're looking fabulous. For those who don't know me, you're looking pretty good for strangers. Um, when you think about it, sharing your testimony with a room full of strangers is, is a really beautiful thing, but it's also kind of like that show The Bachelor, you know, when um, a girl gets a one-on-one -on -one with Jake, right? And she's like, Jake, I just, I just have to share this like moment I had. You know, my dog got swallowed by a shark. And Jake is just sitting there like, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and it's like sharing the first five minutes of uh, a date and sharing all the trauma in your life, it's, it's a lot. But I know you're not Jake, and I'm not just gonna sit there and um, I'm gonna try not to cry. So um, I'm Channing, I was born in Texas. Um, I grew up in Missouri with my parents and the help of a beautiful aunt who flew in from South Korea. 
Um, they homeschooled me and my siblings as we traveled the world. And my earliest religious memory is of holding my mom's hand as I trembled in terror at this the height, the mere height of these French cathedrals and um, the Catholic priests swinging by with their incense and chanting the words to what I thought was a lyrics to a new Anya song. Um, another early memory was when I woke to the sounds of my Korean Buddhist grandmother singing prayers by a candle at dawn. I was blessed at a young age to be shown the vastness of the world outside of America and and the safety and love that was something not every girl around the world was born into. I was sheltered from MTV, but not from books and films and documentaries that would often break my heart about the injustice of the world. I was reminded during every family mealtime to thank God, to um, praise him for countless blessings. My dad gave each of us King James Bibles and quoted Mark Twain by saying that he didn't want to be the man who came between me and God. So along with those Bibles, he filled the family library with encyclopedias on every religion. And I read them with wonderment and sometimes curiosity and confusion at the beauty and mystery and expansiveness of God. But before I accidentally paint myself as some wise child prodigy, I should tell you that when I was nine, we were at an olive garden, and I stole my brother's portion of Andy's mints, and when he wasn't looking, um, and, then I, and then I made eye contact with this like bust, this Greek statue bust of Julius Caesar, and I thought that was God judging me. Um, and for years, I held these elementary ideas of who God was. You know, this bust with the voice of James Earl Jones. And, and I, I, I didn't know who he was. Maybe some glorified judge who lived in the sky and punished and rewarded for good and bad behavior. And I was such a good girl that I, I wasn't worried about him, except for that one time at Olive Garden. Um, I grew up in a, a wholesome theater town called Branson, Missouri, and everyone attended church and half the shows featured gospel music and all of my friends were wonderful Christians whose moral standards I emulated out of ab admiration. But I never felt like I fit in. I wore my Christian identity like a coat and pretended to know who Jesus was because that was what the, what the environment expected of me. And because of the faith I had built in my environment, and I, I built it on my environment and not on Jesus, the moment my environment shifted, I shifted. I moved to Boston to pursue a degree at Harvard, and counting my blessings gradually grew less important than counting my grade point average. My worth relied on whoever could flatter me the most, and this led to a dangerous relationship with someone who told me I couldn't be heard, I couldn't be seen, and I couldn't be loved. And in a, in a few months, I found myself shattered into pieces by a man who tried to convince me that, who tried to convince me with the strike of his fist that Jesus didn't love me as much as he did. I'm a student of drama, so one thing I've learned is that there is nothing more dramatic than a miracle. Um, on the darkest day, I remember I looked up, this is so dramatic. <laughs> I remember I looked up at this crack in the window where light was seeping in and it was really dark because all the light bulbs had been broken somehow. And um, I heard this song, I heard someone singing the goodness of God playing and was playing from a distance and I started praying for help. I knew that God was there, I just didn't trust that he was there. 
And I heard God say that he hadn't given up on me even if I had given up on him. And since then, life has been the series of impossible coincidences and, um, and strangers who have been angels. Um, and then I realized I had to be physically broken to recognize that my spirit had always been broken, that I couldn't get up on my own without the help of a savior. I am today deeply humbled and deeply grateful that, for the darkness that led me here. I am by no means perfect, but I will never let a man define my worth again, because as a child of God, I know exactly who I am. I once read that sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. And this is my story of, of a girl who always believed in God but never trusted in the power of his grace. And now that I do, I see him everywhere, in a glass of water, in the wrinkles of my grandmother's hands, in the wildest raging storm, in the beauty and in the terror amidst the chaos of my days. I listen and I wait within this loud silence for what my purpose is in this country called life and on this home called earth. And while I wait, I will sing in the darkness of the goodness of God. Thank you. From the state of Pennsylvania, we have Tim Mersek. Well, since Colin Price isn't here, I promised him I would say, what up, church? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Tim. I'm from Pennsylvania, go Pens. And salvation has always seemed a bit of an ethereal concept to me. I was raised in church, and that blessed me with a heightened knowledge of the things of God that took some significant time to grow and mature. My life has been very saturated in a certain narrative called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for as long as memory serves me, it's been at the forefronts of my mind and heart. At age seven, I accepted an invitation to an altar and prayed a prayer that was supposed to cover all of my bases, acknowledge my sinful nature in need of a covering, accept reconciliation with God, and secure my golden ticket to heaven, a place that I didn't really yearn for, but knew that I didn't want to end up in its counterpart. Four years later, I was baptized with a heart that was perfunctory thinking that this act improved my standing with God and his system of brownie points. But both of these decisions were merely what I just said, perfunctory, practiced, and learned, concepts that I wildly misunderstood and actions that did not connote a shift in my will and heart. It wasn't until the age of 16 that I found what many call the moment of salvation. Life events led to conviction, which led to a fork in the road of my existence. And with a matured will, heart, and understanding of the decision, I committed my existence, both in this present world and any to come, to the Lord of them. Receiving his Holy Spirit and accepting his gift of salvation, I looked to chart a new course through this experience that King Solomon called Life Under the Sun. That sermon series plug is free, but I'll invoice you for the next one. But the story doesn't end there, because as I learned and am continually learning, the kingdom of God is not a linear equation. Far from it. <laughs> Not long following this conversion, I went to college and over the course of the ensuing five years lived an increasingly stagnant life. On the surface, I was living well, but like King Solomon, I chased every ephemeral pleasure under the sun, none of which to this day I find inherently evil because the enemy owns no pleasure. 
but rather promises that it will satisfy voids only Christ can fill. I fell away from church, convincing myself that I didn't need community, mainly because it would expose the empty corners of my own heart and force accountability. But in the fall of 2019, as a little Capitol Hill intern, I was a casual churchgoer at best. And one Saturday, I was invited by this CrossFitter Buffalo Bills loving guy to a service at which I may have been person number 20 in attendance. By the way, I was late to that service, but I would soon find out that that prohibits you from nothing at King's Church DC. <laughs> I didn't have any clue how the Lord would blindside me in the best of ways in the coming months and years. And King's Church changed my life, reinvigorating a faith that was dormant at best with Christ-centered pursuit of community unified with Jesus. And while far from perfect, especially this side of heaven, this pursuit is fundamentally necessary to a life of faith. I believe there's a reason that God looked upon all of his creation and called it good, but looked upon mankind alone and said, that is not good. Without each other, I'm living proof that we will wither and our faith will not be whole. Many of you in this room know that I recently left DC for a brief period. What I'm fancying is a sabbatical that the spirit knew I needed. But don't worry, Ben tried his best to keep me here. <laughs> And in this time of slower pace, rest, and communion with God, I developed a conviction to enter the waters of baptism for the first time. While I've entered these waters in the physical sense before, this act was not of faith, but of pretense. And so often in the New Testament, we see that baptism is a commitment of conscience, a delineation of those who would join Jesus under community, and enter these waters as a sign of accountability to his church, and as a testimony to the work he is completing in each of us who pursue him. Frederick Nietzsche once observed that the Christian life appeared to him a long obedience in the same direction. And the derogatory nature of that comment has always stuck with me because it suggests an imprisoned life of servanthood. And in a culture that cherishes individuality as its highest virtue, isolation and self-love become the mantra of lives well lived. And how heartbreaking it is when this is found so apparently empty. I would know. I'm guessing so would you. After all, we've all lived it. Freedom humanly defined is a myth, another of these pleasures promised by the enemy to provide lasting joy, peace, and fullness of life, leading us only to the end of ourselves and asking what else could there be? And how beautiful it is that our model for life, Jesus, sums up his coming in John chapter 10. I'm come that they may have life and have it to the full. For as long as he gives me breath, I will refuse to stop talking about this one who gave me this life to the absolute full. Thank you. Next up, we have Diana Stevens from the state of Alabama. Okay, hi, I'm Diana. Uh, there we go. I'm very short. Um, Yes, I'm from Alabama, but I also was adopted from Guayaco, Ecuador when I was two years old. And I grew up in a loving Christian household alongside my big brother. And during, that, during my childhood, we moved to different parts of Alabama and within the process of moving, my parents' number one priority was always to plant our feet in a church and find, find a way to serve in the church. Throughout the years, I attended small group with the same small group of girls and two amazing small group leaders for seven years. At age 18, 
I was invited to move to Dallas, Texas to cheer at the highest level of competitive cheerleading. Within that process, I faced many, ooh, sorry, <laughs> temptations of the world, such as partying, drinking, drugs. And during that time, I knew I had to stand firm within what I believed, who I was, and what the Lord was teaching me. And during that time, I knew I had to sacrifice my dreams, take up my cross, and throw away my plan, and it be his, um, because I didn't want to fall into temptation of what my peers were doing. In 2019, I moved to Washington, D.C. for a fellowship internship. And within that summer, I lived with 45 random strangers who quickly became my friends and family, and they just pointed me to Jesus every day um, and encouraged me to live out the way of the Lord. And now I stand here with you all, telling, me, telling you bits and pieces of what the Lord has done in my life, the trials and temptation of the world that continues to challenge me <laughs> throughout my life. He has been there with me and for an knowing me that he will never leave me. And as my eyes continue to look forward, I'm excited to keep pressing into what he'll be teaching me throughout the rest of my life. Thank you. Next from the state of Michigan, we have Hunter Ehrman. Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, grew up in a small town called Holland, Michigan. Very cute little Dutch town with uh, churches on every corner. I even grew up uh, occasionally attending church and even played one Easter in the church band. But despite all of these uh, emotions, I felt like I was just going through the motions of being a Christian and not really being true to the faith. When I was seven years old, my biological mom died in a car accident. And at this moment, it felt really hard to trust Jesus. As I got older, I pulled back from the church. When I went to college, there was always an excuse for why I shouldn't wake up for a Sunday morning church, uh, staying out too late on Saturday night, having a big test to cram for on Mondays. But when I got my first real job out here in DC, I was in government surrounded by people who paid lip service to the Christian faith, but didn't live it. It wasn't until I got a job removed from politics where I noticed the true difference between following Christ and going through the motions. <laughs> I began working with some great people who uh, centered their lives around the faith and uh, made that a way of life uh, for them rather than a talking point. And it made me really feel at home. Uh, around the same time, I started dating Natalie and uh, she asked me to come to King's with her. I knew uh, faith was an important part of our relationship and it was pretty early on in the relationship, so I was a little nervous uh, to come and visit church. But after my first service here, which was a baptism Sunday, almost a year ago to the day, uh, I was absolutely hooked. I finally realized my need for Jesus and recognized that Jesus had called me to this place and to follow him. Later, I found out my coworker Justin has been attending this church as well, and now we joke that five days a week seeing each other in the office isn't enough, so we had to add a sixth. <laughs> but uh, on a more serious note, this was the second sign to me that I was in the right spot where God called me to be. On these Sundays, I have found a community of believers who inspire me to walk by faith in Jesus. My first Sunday at King's, I walked in anxious, and today I stride in excited to spend Sunday with you all. Thank you for building this community, and I'm proud to be part of it.
Next up, we have Meredith Magnuson from the state of Georgia. Hi, everyone. I'm Meredith. Um, ben and Wesley, thank you for bearing with me as I've been trying to get baptized for a year now. Um, and I've been out of town every Sunday it's happened. So, um, But today feels even more special because my family is miraculously here. And of all the weekends they could have come, I'm so grateful God chose it to be this one. Um, my mom and my two brothers, and basically my two sisters are here, and they're the most faithful, remarkable people that I know. Um, so I'm so glad I can't see any of their faces with all the lights, or I would cry really hard. Um, a wise friend once told me that a testimony isn't my own story at all, but God's story. One of his forgiveness, faithfulness, sovereignty, tenderness, mightiness to save us, the list goes on. I'm so happy that I get to talk about God's unspeakable kindness in shepherding me in my life. And though I dread public speaking more than just about anything, a few minutes seems an impossible task to speak of God's love for each of his children. Um, my first exposure to God was in kindergarten when my loving mom sent me to vacation Bible school. I came home at the end of the week and I remember with more clarity than any other childhood memory, her huddling around my brother Clay and me in the kitchen, uh, teaching us about Christ's salvation. Five-year-old Meredith was terrified of hell, so I prayed a tiny prayer in my heart and told God I believed in him. Uh, I got baptized shortly after, and truthfully, I had no idea what was happening. I was just excited to get dunked in a swimming pool. Um, though still a small child, this association of fear with God ensued. Most years, our family went to church on Easter and Christmas because it seemed like the right thing to do. This infrequency in church visitation left me with several questions, so when I was seven, I timidly asked my mom if I could call a special meeting with our pastor. I asked him how he really knew I wasn't going to hell and that God truly forgave me. Um, little me knew something wasn't right in the world, yet I was still far from understanding God's tender and forgiving heart. Though, as is evidenced by these stories, I always had some sense of sin and brokenness, the reality of both sin and brokenness became overwhelmingly clear to me a few short years later when my parents got divorced. Uh, this series of events led me to act in my own strength, to attempt with desperation to be the good kid who never made a single mistake. I thought that if I could just be perfect, I wouldn't end up like others in my family who I was so quick to look down on. And maybe, just maybe, if I was perfect, I could earn God's approval. I carried out my high school years living in pride that I didn't end up like certain people in my family blindly unaware of my own sin and God's guidance and protection over each and every one of my actions. As high school ensued, I knew I believed in Jesus, yet I knew nothing of what it meant to love him, follow him, and give my life to him in full surrender. College approached, and the seemingly random decision to attend the University of Georgia is one so marked by God's providence and kindness that, try as I may, I still can't put words to. It's during these four years that Christ revealed my own sin and brokenness to me. Um, Christ lived a perfect life and then willingly died and rose for me. Christ was perfect so that I no longer had to try to be. Christ forgave me once and for all so that I never have to worry about calling a special meeting with a pastor ever again. Um, during these years in Georgia, the Lord surrounded me with faithful and devoted followers who taught me about his word and his nature. The best gift of all that he gave me in Georgia was the gift of himself, of communing with him and learning more about the person of Jesus. And it turns out that he's so much better than fearful seven-year-old Meredith once thought he was. Growing up, I never quite understood what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're in that boat too, I think this quote from Weldon Keller sums it up quite beautifully. Um, Keller, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, says, 
God invites us to come directly into his presence by way of his own dear son. He himself put it to us so simply when he stated before his death, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. It is upon this beautiful basis that it is possible for people to come freely, gladly, boldly into the supreme presence of our Father as his beloved children. We are given the joyous privilege to approach him in childlike confidence anytime, anywhere, without apprehension, all because of the profound provision Christ himself has made for us. He assures us that Christ is our friend and our intercessor. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11 speak of Christ's example of humility and were the turning point in my understanding of his nature and his heart. They say, Paul writes, uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Um, I'm far from knowing the stories and sufferings of every person in this room, much less your thoughts on and feelings toward God. Whatever darkness may be surrounding you, whatever trench you might find yourself laying in, and whatever questions and doubts you may have, God's sufficiency and kindness are never out of reach. Not only did Christ die for us, but he rose and continues to presently act on our behalves in each and every detail of our lives out of love. Uh, Genesis 50:20 is a cornerstone verse for my life, and it reads, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In times of brokenness, in times of goodness, and even in times of mundaneness, too, God is our only hope. My family's living proof that God redeems, heals, and brings beauty from ashes even in the most hopeless of situations. I'm getting baptized because I'm in awe of a God who I wouldn't be standing here today without, if not for his severe mercy and kindness. And I am so grateful that he's the firm foundation I get to put my trust in and stack my whole life on. So thank you so much for listening. Next, we have Karis Nelson from the Lone Star State of Texas. Hey, y'all. Sorry, I'm a little short. Good morning. I'm Karis. Um, I've been a Jesus lover my entire life. And I promise I'm going to try and get through this without crying. When I was four... I asked my six-year-old brother why we went to the Holiday Inn Ballroom every Sunday and met with people to sing songs and talk about the, this man named Jesus. Surely, it wasn't just for me to show off my frilly socks or patent leather shoes or get free cookies from the hotel manager. My brother explained in six-year-old terms who Jesus was. That's when I made the decision to follow God. I'm 23 now. I know that's not a super long time to some of you in here having lived a life with challenges, victories, success, and failure. Life is full of constant change, but the one thing, let me move this up, forgive me, I'm not wearing my glasses. The one thing that has remained constant is Jesus. My parents raised me to believe that my relationship with Jesus is my own and is meant to be intimate and personal, 
something that I know is that God is the ultimate parent, friend, and provider. There was a moment in my life where I had a real turning point in my relationship with God. I'd gotten a call from Baylor, the school I wanted to go to, letting me know that I didn't get accepted. It was a week before my 18th birthday, and it felt like the carpet had gotten ripped out from under me. I felt lost and hurt, but God knows us better than anyone, including how to comfort us and the desires of our heart. To make a long story short, I am now a part of the Baylor alumni community, <laughs> um, class of 2022. During my time there, God opened more doors than I ever imagined because I waited for him and was diligent, even through the disappointment. He carried me through it all. And during my senior year, I was blessed with the opportunity to do Baylor, Baylor's DC internship program. At the end of it, I returned to Waco and began asking God what was next. I had no post-grad plans yet. On March 31st, I had gotten a little frustrated. I was praying and told God that I trusted him wholeheartedly and that I was letting my stress go and putting everything in his hands. We're told in 1 Peter 5.7 to cast all our fears and anxiety on him for he cares for us. On April 1st, I got a phone call from the scheduler for the office I had interned for. Keep in mind, this is April 1st, April Fool's Day. <laughs> but it wasn't our scheduler's voice on the phone. It was the congressman himself. I'm sorry. He personally asked me to come back full-time post-grad. That's why I'm here in front of you. I had to pause for a second before answering. I was also driving to campus, so I had to be focused on the road. <laughs> there are some things that happen in your life where you just know they're God. I prayed about it, then I called my parents, who were concerned about me moving so far away and hardly, with hardly any money to start out and no place to live. I told them I knew God was calling me there. And as soon as I had their blessing, God started kicking open doors within days, and I'm not joking, days. I had a place to live, gifts from family members to tide me over until my first paycheck and a plan to leave. A mentor and dear friend of mine had dinner with me a few weeks before I moved. She looked at me and said, Karis, your obedience to God is going to shine through you and be a light to others. Then she started speaking scripture over me, a scripture that God has continuously put in my life. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses, and that's Joshua 1.3. I was blown away by God using Courtney to reiterate the same thing that he had been explaining to me, and the gifts that he has given me where my feet have fallen. I am standing here today human. I make mistakes and I fail. But I was created in God's image and likeness, fearfully and wonderfully made. After endless and intentional prayer, I am here to unapologetically proclaim and confirm that I am a child of God, who is ready to take this next step in my walk with Jesus here at King's Church. Next up, we have Keaton Browder from the state of North Carolina. Hey, how y'all doing? Uh, so my salvation story began in a Christian home uh, smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt, but not really in the way you might think. Uh, although I attended Christian school since K-5 and church every week, I missed the point of giving my life to Christ. 
I didn't really understand what it meant to be a follower of Christ, instead opting for a Pharisee sort of religion that was based on following rules rather than transforming the heart. I was fully convinced I was saved, and no one could convince me without a shadow of a doubt that I wasn't. Uh, nobody except the Word of God, that two-edged sword. Uh, it's a lot easier to say this two-edged until it cuts you. Despite my self-deception, I had no personal relationship with Christ, neglecting reading my Bible and praying for years at a time because for some reason I thought in my mind I was good enough to not have to worry about that stuff. It wasn't until my first few weeks at Liberty University, sidebar go flames, where I reckoned, my, where I reckoned with the reality of what it means to actually be a Christian and follow my faith fully. Maybe I should actually try reading my Bible for once if I'm going to take this whole Christian thing seriously, I thought to myself. God, prominent and on the nose as ever, purposefully and compassionately planted the thought in my head to turn to the Sermon on the Mount, the first time I'd read my Bible in months. With my 18 years of Bible knowledge up to that point, I knew for some reason that Matthew 5 through 7 was a good passage to read. When I got to Matthew 7, that was when I ran into a brick wall made of God's goodness and my own wretchedness. The passage said, and this passage is too good for me to paraphrase, so I just have to read the couple of verses here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in my name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, and then when I read that, my head kind of exploded because I realized, um, uh-oh, I'm not saved. Um, uh-oh, I thought, my head exploding as I realized that no actions I ever do could make me saved, only a heart changed by the Holy Spirit. I then turned, as God guided my hands again, to Matthew 13, basically just flipping through, oh, what else would be in here? Um, <laughs> God's so on the nose, it's, it's hilarious. Um, I arrived at the parable of the uh, wheat and the weeds. In synopsis, there are those that blend in with God's people who are actually weeds uh, that ultimately deserve to be burned. They're not, they're not actually the wheat that God harvests for heaven. Um, I was a weed, unknowingly blaspheming the people of God by thinking I was one of them for some self-gratifying, prideful, fruitless religion to being better than everyone else. I subsequently let out another uh-oh as my head exploded again and finally understood what it meant to be a Christ follower, sort of that eureka moment. From that point onward, God's word and the contents inside has a new, fresh, authoritative meaning in my life. Church was no longer an event where you just go because everyone else did. It's a place where believers could fellowship and minister to one another. Prayer had a purpose, and God answers it in abundant ways more than I ever could ask, uh, and that was very new to me. Uh, Christ became real, not a figment of my imagination that made me feel self-righteous. I thought the best part of my journey to finding true faith in Jesus Christ was how little work I did to get in, uh, both in a theological way, but also in a very literal way. God did all the work, choosing me solely out of the compassion of himself for me, making me turn to those specific passages seemingly arbitrary to me at the time. It was him saving me from my flesh-led self-deception. Since then, I've been blessed to find a home in D.C. at King's Church, where the foundation is rock solid, the community is Christ-like, and the Daniel Davis Small Group is the most welcoming group of people I could ever ask for. Shout out to those guys. Um, and I'm able to continue my growth in Christ here. Uh, my favorite verse is Psalm 115.3. It's a short but powerful verse that summates the sovereignty of God. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And that's the entire verse. God does whatever he wants. And because of that, he wanted to choose me out of his own abundant grace. Um, nothing I did. I owe it to him to live the rest of my life surrendered to him because of his boundless grace and holiness. Next, from the state of California, we have Jenna DiCarlo. Okay, I'm a little short, so hopefully everyone can hear me okay. 
But hello, everyone. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Jenna, and I'm from San Diego, California. And faith was a minuscule part of my life growing up. I had one parent who was a believer and one parent who was not, but they still had me baptized in the Presbyterian Church when I was only three months old. Of course, I was too young to understand the importance of what baptism actually means, plus we were nothing more than, Christ than Christmas and Easter Christians. And the only thing I knew about Jesus was that he was some bearded guy who was crucified and had died to save us. As a kid, I often called myself a Christian because that was what my family said we were, not because I knew anything about what being a Christian meant. That eventually changed when I was roughly 10 or 11 years old, and I made a comment about God to my dad, which led to him sitting me down on the couch and telling me, Jenna, there is no God. That one moment led me down a path of hopelessness and confusion that I would be stuck in for years. Because of my dad's comment, I began questioning the existence of God before questioning Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. And because my family never went to church, I had no religious support around me, and I eventually lost my faith entirely. When I was 15, I even went so far as to sit my entire family down and show them a PowerPoint presentation of, about why I was an atheist. I still can't believe I did that. Anyway. <laughs> But I can say firsthand that being an atheist is an incredibly dark and lonely experience. I would lie awake in bed at night feeling that my life had no purpose or value, and I would often contemplate ending it entirely because I felt I had nothing to live for since nothing mattered anyway. Abandoning my faith led me down a path of depression, anxiety, a multitude of sins, and blasphemy. I denounced God by claiming he wasn't real and cursing his name any chance I could get. I was broken, lost, and bitter. I wanted answers, but was repeatedly denying the ones Jesus was providing. At one point, I tried to follow Buddhism, and then my sophomore year of college nearly converted to Judaism. <laughs> Anything that would prevent me from accepting the Lord as we know him. But I found nothing fulfilling from that. However, in May of 2021, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed my life forever. Months before, I had finally begun opening myself up to learning about Jesus, and I reached the point where I would pray to the Lord for faith in him and for me to know that he was there. I was sitting at home in one of my online classes and we were discussing Christian history. And as I like to describe it, the rusty gears in my head suddenly began to turn. And everything I had been learning about Jesus felt entirely real and my eyes had opened with understanding. The Lord answered my prayer. He softened my heart and alleviated over a decade's worth of anger, resentment, and hopelessness and re replaced it with the faith I had been longing for. He took me in all of my brokenness, filled my cracks, and made me whole again. Jesus certainly played the long game, and I am eternally thankful that he was so patient with me after all these years. Despite me repeatedly denying him, and with all the sins I had committed, he forgave me and loved me anyway. By grace through faith, he saved me. Since opening my heart to Jesus, I can see that he has worked many miracles in my life and in the world around me. Six months ago to the day, he saved me from a long-term relationship where I was being emotionally and spiritually abused. He mercifully broke my chains and set me free and called me across the country to DC to start a new life and to live in his name. He redeemed me from myself and my sin. He called me to Kings and to be baptized in his name today. And this is me finally saying yes. Jesus had blessed me with a renewed sense of purpose to learn about and to follow him. For most of my life, I had been saying no to Jesus. But since the moment the Holy Spirit met me, I have been dedicating my life to saying yes to him. Where the Lord calls, I will follow. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. From the moment I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he's continued to give me new hope every day. Everything that I have, and everything that I am is because of Jesus. His love is so powerful, and I am blessed to finally see it for the first time. My only regret is that I didn't open my heart to him sooner. Even though I have a lot, and I mean a lot, of catching up to do in learning about Jesus, and that there will be times that I stumble and fall into temptation, I know in my heart that Jesus is my savior, and I will work hard to live a Christian life and share God's word with the world. People who know me well know that Hebrews 12.1 is my favorite Bible passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. My race to faith has been anything but a conventional one, yet I am honored that Jesus has been waiting for me all this time and has allowed me to be here and be baptized today. I look forward to learning even more about him. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week. Thank you.